values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I've been excited about this interview. Recently, I was at a border summit in southern Arizona down in Tucson, and um, Congressman Siskamani was one of the keynote speakers there and did just hit it out of the park with uh, explaining things in such a concise way about the three buckets of, of the border. So I asked him to join us on the show. He joins us now. Congressman, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Thanks so much for having me on. Let's, if you don't mind, will you, before we get into the specifics about the border, will you give the description you gave at that conference about the three buckets and how, how they're separated at the border? Yeah, of course. Of course I would. And this is one of the issues that is that I'm, that is very close to me for a lot of reasons. And my background real quick, I was born in Mexico, came over as a, as a, as a little, as a little child, I guess, a little boy. And, um, I uh, was raised in Tucson where, where I grew up. And, uh, now we're, we became the first, uh, immigrant from Mexico to be elected to Congress in Arizona. So I went through the process and I became a citizen as an adult. This is important to note. I became a citizen in 2006 and just a short 16, 17 years later, I'm, I'm elected to the United States Congress. So I, I'm a firm believer in the American dream and uh, I have had a very close, obviously, encounter with the immigration system, given that I went through it. So I can speak about the process from a very personal perspective, having become a citizen as an adult and started the process as a young kid. So it takes a long time. And that's that's the immigration side of it, which I understand, like, again, from a personal perspective. And that's one bucket in my mind. That's the immigration bucket of coming to the country, earning a green card, citizenship, even the work permit, uh, in whatever way it is to be here in the country in a lawful manner and uh, and be able to to operate in the country and that's that's one bucket in my mind the other one is uh, another border issue which is trade and commerce this is highly important for arizona uh, mexico is our number one trading partner times four we trade over 17 billion dollars of exports and imports with mexico that's two-way trade and over 200 jobs in arizona are um depend on this on this bilateral trade highly important that's not even touching tourism and if you live in arizona which most of your listeners i'm sure do and especially in southern arizona we see the mexican license plates during the holiday seasons that you know of the shoppers coming up here and buy in some border communities mike you have over 70 or 80 percent of the sales tax coming from mexican shoppers that's another bucket trade and commerce and the third one is security not not in the order of importance that's just the order i'm mentioning them but security is actually the top priority and that's another bucket where we have to add enforcement on the uh, to support border patrol and resources, technology, the right uh, laws and regulations that that would keep people uh, keep our our law enforcement empowered to be able to take care of the really bad actors. So those are the three buckets in my mind: immigration. I have a personal journey with trading commerce. That's what I've done in my career, and then border security, which is the um, the top priority right now when we talk about the border. Well, is and pieces of legislation that have been proposed or can be proposed can help all three, even though they may be directed at one of the three. Um, let me give you an example of what I think would be a good idea, and I'd love to hear your opinion. You're the expert. The idea of a robust guest worker program here, the construction industry is starving for workers right now. There are so many jobs that are unfilled in Arizona that could be filled by qualified people from south of our border. And if we were to, to institute something like a real guest worker program or a bigger or broader guest worker program, wouldn't that also slow down the people coming across with false client claims for as, uh, asylum and help the border security issue part? 
part of it in those two areas with one piece of legislation? I, I believe so. When when you look at some of these solutions, like the one you mentioned, it ends up touching several aspects of it, and, and it has a ripple effect on one, from one bucket per se to the other. And the, the the bill itself or the legislation itself may not address several of these directly, but it does have an impact one to the other. When you look at the what you just described, uh, Mike, it doesn't matter if I'm talking to a small business owner or I'm talking to a large corporation, workforce is the number one need that they have right now. Uh, and, and a lot of our small businesses, which is a different conversation, more on the security bucket is crime and fentanyl in our streets and homelessness. So those are other issues that that, uh, that would impact our small businesses. But when you talk about workforce, that they, they need workers. Uh, small and large businesses. And a good way to address that need is through a, a robust and uh, speedy and safe um, uh, guest worker program that would meet the needs and the demand that we have here in the country. And it would also, quite frankly, meet some of the needs that, that these people that want to come here and work and then go back home. We, we sometimes make the false assumption that everybody that comes here to work, want to come here and stay like my family did, pursue the American dream and stay here forever. Not, not every family is like that. A lot of families want to come here, work, and be able to keep their families and their permanent home in, in Mexico, in this case, or in their home country. And that helps all of us. We meet our need, and they, of course, are able to prosper in their own home countries, which uh, desensitizes the need to uh, move away many times into our country and many times illegally, uh, unfortunately. So the, it does have a ripple effect that that it would be positive for our region for sure. There are two areas recently that we've mo- we've. I know that you visited the border with a contingent with Senator Cinema, and a couple of the things that your group had been mentioning is number one that we don't seem to have a plan for when Title Forty Two expires and people begin to cross, and secondly, addressing the issue that the cartels are using social media to recruit um, people for human and uh, drug trafficking. Can you talk about your feelings on those two issues? Yeah, absolutely. So we visited the border a couple times now uh, as a member with other people as well. My first one um, that I visited with, with guests from outside was with Speaker McCarthy on his first trip to the border as speaker uh he accepted our invitation i wanted him to come and take a look at our border it's so different than the texas and california borders in so many ways uh who owns the land what's being operated there what's happening in that area and so he was able to come here with a delegation also of three other freshman members from wisconsin oregon and virginia and you may wonder why those states well those states are being plagued by fentanyl as well they're not border states, but I've been saying that every state has become a border state since since this uh, uh, epidemic has grown to the level that it has. Second second trip as well later, uh, about a month later, came on a bipartisan and bicameral um, delegation with, you, you're right, Senator Sinema, and I were well, able to welcome members and other senators from across the country to come see for themselves the same thing that Speaker McCarthy was able to see. So absolutely, and we heard exactly what you said. There's a real concern from our border agents that there is no plan after Title 42. And quite frankly, there hasn't been a plan this entire time. One of the most, I would say, devastating things that we've heard from, from our border agents in, in terms of their morale is that when I first came in, Mike, I asked them, I said, this is a trip that I took by myself. There was nobody else there. But I said, what can we do? What, what bill could I introduce? I mean, what's the first action that we need to take? And they said, there are some ideas that we have, and we talked through them. 
But they said the number one thing that we need is for 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 the the administration to free our hands so that we can actually apply the laws that are in the books right now. And we're not able to. Uh, That is one of the most frustrating things for them. And it is for us for sure as well. There hasn't been a plan. Mallorca's is in uh, is, is in the hill today. He's here in this building, and he's being questioned right now by Homeland uh, the committee, uh, the, the committee on Homeland Security. And I've called for uh, him to do his job or step out of the way multiple times because he's not doing his job and he's failing at that. So we absolutely need to hold his feet to the fire and hold him accountable for this. And then the second point that you raised on. The, the transportation of, 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 of migrants uh, at high-speed chases going on in our communities, residential areas in Cochise County, this is happening. We just had a press conference earlier this week with a family that went through that in Texas as well, where a grandmother and her, and her granddaughter were killed by a smuggler speeding at 105 miles an hour and killing both of them. The grandmother had picked up the little girl uh, from, uh, from a play date and was taking them home two minutes away from their house. This is devastating. But, Mike, this is happening in other places as well and in our own state also. And we've heard those stories. So I introduced a bill to deal with this and empower social media companies to report any any activity that is suspicious that would lead to think that, that the, the cartels are recruiting um, kids as young as 14 to come down and drive these uh, migrants up and smuggle them and, and be part of this human trafficking ring. They're using social media like TikTok and, um, and Snapchat and Instagram to recruit young kids to come down and be and participate in this. And many times they don't even know what they're getting themselves into, but they do. So my bill will deal with that. And, and it, it would, uh, uh, quite frankly, uh, not only uh, encourage, but but uh, um, expect the communication to happen between law enforcement and social media. Congressman, I have to take a quick break, but I've got you for one more segment, correct? You do, of course. All right, so uh, we're going to put you on hold, and we're going to get back with Congressman Juan Siscomani in just a moment. We're going to talk about uh, finish this border conversation and talk a little bit about the debt ceiling. All that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Thanks for being here. Joining me is Congressman Siskamani from Southern Arizona. Uh, Congressman, we were talking a few moments ago about the border issue, and you brought up Secretary Mayorkas from Homeland Security. There are those that have been calling for either his resignation or his impeachment. Have you? Do you do you go that far in your mind? Do you think he needs to step aside, or do you still think there's time for him to do his job? Well, what I called on him to do today, I, I said, do your job or step aside so somebody else can do the job. That's my call to him. And uh, he, he has been making excuses for the situation, actually going uh, uh, worse than that by trying to claim success in certain areas. And I have to tell you, I visited Border Patrol uh, and, and toured the, uh, the, the border with them, and I've also toured it with with uh, Customs and Border Protection, with CBP, basically those the, the, the uniform that you see on green and the ones on blue. One is in charge of trade commerce and ports of entry. The other one's more in the outskirts in the desert. They both feel the same way. They don't have the right resources. They don't have the right attention from this administration. So this is not me saying it. It's 
those that are on the ground saying it, that he has failed and done, uh, quite frankly, nothing for the situation to improve it. And the numbers also prove it. 150,000 encounters last month. And that is the 25th month in a row, Mike, that we see that number. 150,000 encounters. Over 2,800 pounds of fentanyl seized last uh, month as well. And that's just what we know about. They will claim that the, the, the Border Patrol agents and, and CBP will let you know that their uh, success rate, which is what they are able to apprehend, is is in the range of 40, uh, I'm sorry, 58 to um, 56 to 58 percent. So over 40 percent is still getting through from what they know. Uh, that th- these are terrible statistics and they're just getting worse. So he's, he hasn't done his job. He doesn't seem to uh, have it in him to do the job at this point. So, yes, I think he should step aside and let somebody else do the job. But if this is a policy issue from the top, from the administration itself, wouldn't replacing Mayorkas, they would replace him with someone else that would be of the same mindset that would do the bidding of the president. Is this more about policy from the president than it is about who implements that policy as director? Sure. Leadership on this one comes from the top. And uh, Joe Biden is as responsible as uh, Secretary Mayorkas is on this. I would be hopeful that the next secretary would uh, care about our country enough to be able to offer the right leadership here. Uh, It's clear that Mayorkas is not going to do that, is not going to advise or even um, do the right thing uh, on the job. So I'm hoping that somebody else would. But it's clear that he is not going to do that. So that's why my stance is on this. Now, no question that we have to keep the pressure on Joe Biden as well. The president is the ultimately responsible person for this. He's created this crisis, no question. And he also needs to be held accountable. And that's what 2024 is all about. And uh, we'll get to that point uh, soon. All right. So before I let you go, let me shift to the debt ceiling negotiation that's happening. Are there areas of agreement with the White House and the House Republicans? And where there are areas of disagreement, do you see a negotiation uh, soon? And is it going to happen, uh, do you believe, or is this going to be a tough one? It's going to be a tough one, no question about it. And and, uh, we've – Speaker McCarthy had a meeting with the president – a couple of months ago at this point, and the promise was to keep on having meetings. The, the president has not met with the speaker since then, and that, that's been the call, to have a meeting so that we can start having these discussions. We've been meeting as a conference. It's clear what we want to do. We have a, a plan that would limit federal spending and return discretionary funding to um, 22 levels. And we have we, we want to basically limit the spending, save and grow the economy. That's that. Those are the three steps that we have. Limit the spending, which we, you know, Washington has an out of control problem of spending. We have to make sure that we address the, 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 the problem that we see there in Washington spending. We also have to be able to save dollars where we can and uh, invest and grow in the economy. That, though, those are the general trends that we're coming to the table with. One of the things that we don't want to do, two of the things, is one, a clean lift of the debt ceiling uh, of, of with, without any conversation on this. And the second thing is raising taxes. That's not something that we're, that we're going to agree to. So uh, that's kind of what the initial conversation has gone to. Not very far, if that's what you're thinking, and I would agree with you, because the president hasn't offered anything else after that except a budget. But I mean, the, the budget without a debt ceiling conversation, it's, it's, uh, it's not it's an incomplete conversation. So we, we have to continue to meet 
uh, with the president, and he has to come to the table and negotiate with us. It's, it's part of the part of what you would expect anyone to do. Absolutely. Well, Congressman, I hope that the next time when you're back home, I would love to have you in studio to talk more uh, of this. And again, I appreciate the words um, when I was at that conference, and I'm glad you got to talk to the audience today, and I'm looking forward to have, doing it again with you soon. You got it, Mike. I'll talk to you soon and hopefully see you soon. I, that'd be great. All right, that is Congressman Wansis. Come on, he's spending a few minutes with us. Uh, and we're going to get an update as time goes on, of course. Uh, brilliant on the issue of the border and, and a lot of range of other things. I'd love to have more conversations with him. Coming up, should the ATF director, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms, be able to define what an assault weapon is? I'll tell you why I'm asking in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Appreciate you being here. Um, we understand that uh, the president, just like if you are any leader of any big organization, you delegate authority, and you want to make sure you're surrounding your people. Uh, you you surround yourself with people that buy into your vision. Um, as silly as an analogy as this sounds, let me talk a little bit about when you coach a team. Uh, when you're the head coach of a football team, you surround yourself with a coaching staff that buys into your philosophy of football. Defensive-minded, offensive-minded, run-centered, throws, pass-centered, whatever it is, you want people around you that buy into your way. And so you will see when coaches come in, they make changes. And a lot of times, not because it's bad people that are in those roles now, it's just not their people. They want people that have bought into the philosophy. And it is what organizations do. You see when corporations have a, a change in CEOs or a change in, in the heads of organizations, they bring in a lot of their people to implement what they think in their vision. So the president of the United States is no different and surrounds himself with the cabinet and those cabinet positions, those leaders buy into the vision of the president. Now, he believes that they are qualified in those jobs to not only implement their vision, but they should be experts in that field. If you're going to have somebody that is going to be an advisor to you in the economic world, you want them to understand banking and inflation and understand that world. If you hire someone or bring someone in that you want to head up Homeland Security or to head up, in this case, uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms and explosives. I don't, know, they, I don't know why they leave that out, but ATF is the way it's always been identified. Wouldn't you expect that person that's in charge to have at least a fundamental understanding of firearms? And I would think you would. Um, and that, to me, that would be a big deal. I say that because this is not – I don't I don't like got you journalism very much. I don't like that idea of I'm going to ask you a question that I know you can't answer to make you look dumb, meaning every one of your other answers looks dumb. I don't – I'm not someone that subscribes to that. But this is the ATF director being questioned about what is an assault weapon. Can you define for us what is an assault weapon? And I think this is important because I don't like that term. I think it's a, it's kind of a made-up term, but how do you define it? So I'll go shorter than that because I, I honestly, I do think that's a, if Congress wishes to take that up, I think Congress would have to do the work, but we would be there to provide technical assistance. I, unlike you, I'm not a firearms expert to the same extent as you may be, but we have people at ATF who can talk about uh, uh, velocity of firearms, what damage different kinds of firearms cause, so that whatever determination you, you chose to make would be an informed one. 
Now, the reason why that's an important non-answer is that the president of the United States, every time there seems to be a shooting, uh, that seems to be every time there is a shooting that involves a rifle, uh, the president wants a ban on assault weapons. That's his phrase. We hear this all over the country in different places. People want an assault weapons ban. You've got the director of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms that doesn't even have a definition ready to go as to, okay, if that were to happen, what exactly is that? Now, that's an important question. Now, if it's just some member of being, you know, if there's just somebody testifying, this is the guy that runs ATF. Is that not some, isn't that, doesn't he have to have some level of expertise, at least in the vision of the administration? Shouldn't he know and be able to say, well, all I can tell you is this is what the president, this is what the administration would say an assault weapon is, and he should be able to define it. And this is where the problem lies, because I believe this to be true. And hear me out again. I'm not trying to be insulting. The gun control position largely comes from a position of ignorance, not stupidity. But there are many people out there that don't know anything about the rifles they're talking about. They've never purchased a rifle. They've never held a rifle. They've never gone through the background check. They've never done any of that. It's all word of mouth. We need universal background checks. Don't even They don't even know what that means. They don't even know why they're saying that except they keep hearing from people that there are all these people slipping through the cracks and buying guns um, legally without a background check. That's just not the case. When you uh, and I so I would I love that I don't mind that people disagree I have a and I know that there are people and I've had conversations with them Chris Cuomo being one of them Chris and I have had many conversations about gun control he is a gun owner he is someone that's gone through the process multiple times he owns guns but he also thinks that there should be further limitations on gun ownership he'd be one of the educated people I still don't agree with him but there's a more of an educated position there. And so I would say to anybody out there that is as a is an opponent of what you call assault rifles, don't you think that in order to make your argument, you have to have a better argument? You can't just say assault weapons because that is that the way the gun looks. I bought a BB gun for my grandkids, and it's a cool BB gun to kind of teach them firearm safety when they were very, very young. And a BB gun can't do a whole lot of damage, so it was a way for me that I was going to. I never even got around. I ended up throwing the gun away, Um, but it looked like an AR-15. And when you saw it, it even had the extend expandable stock. It was it was crazy how realistic this thing looked. And I thought if I had this in my car, I walked out front with it. People would call the cops. That's how realistic it looked. It looked like a dangerous weapon. It was a BB gun. So the appearance alone is not what identifies something. What does it do that you believe needs to be stopped? What is it about a specific firearm? Now, I'm not saying that anybody listening to me that's a gun control advocate can't answer that question. I believe that many of you can. But doesn't it concern you that the director of alcohol, tobacco, and firearms cannot give you the administration's definition of the weapons they want to ban? I think that should be a concern for everyone. We all want safer streets. We want an end to mass shootings. We want all of these things. I believe we are looking in the wrong place. That's why I fight it so much. It's not about my rights under the Second Amendment as much as it is. It's not going to fix the problem.
When you look at the overwhelming number of gun deaths that happened or death by gun is handguns. It is not rifles. So we are going after something because it appears ominous and it looks ominous and it does a lot of damage. It's not going to solve your problem. So the fact that the ATF director can't or won't answer that question should be a concern to gun control advocates. You should be concerned. He's on your side. And I just think that that's something we all should look at. In a moment, uh, employers. Should employers be required to give employees the day off on the Sabbath? We'll talk about this court case coming up in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. A fascinating case, uh, Supreme Court uh, taking up about, uh, a, I believe, a mail carrier who, um, when they changed the, the delivery days, was asked to work on Sunday. And he said, I took this job intentionally because I didn't have to work on Sunday. That's the s- Sabbath, and I should be afforded that day off. Here is an ABC News report about the Supreme Court and the accommodation. Justice Barrett voiced concern about how far religious accommodations could go. You, you might have many religious people in a workplace seeking the same accommodation um, for Sundays off or, or other kinds of accommodations. Justice Sotomayor seemingly unsympathetic. He was required to work Saturday, Sunday and holidays and now he doesn't want to work half the days he was hired to work. A decision is expected in June. So let's address this. Um, And I have a different take. I think I'm going to upset some people with what I'm about to say. Um, I take my faith very seriously, as many people do. I um, look in the mirror and see my shortcomings. The more I think about my faith, the more I see my shortcomings when I look in the mirror. So this is not me preaching to anyone. But I will say this. um, Part of having a deep faith, whatever your religious beliefs might be, is your willingness to sacrifice in order to uphold those tenets. And if you are working for a company that said you have to work on this day and for you it's a holy day, it's not a holy day for the company you work for. It would be nice if they gave you the accommodation. I agree with you. I think that would be great. But to force companies to do that is the wrong thing. That if you really have your religious beliefs and you have a faith that you're doing the right thing in the eyes of God, then go do something else. That sounds harsh. But there was a story of a woman uh, years ago when the gay marriage issue first came up. And she was in charge of the, for the county of issuing marriage licenses. That was part of her job. And when the laws changed, she was told by the courts, you must, you must give marriage licenses to same-sex couples. And she refused. She said, I'm not doing that. And she would – so basically she said, this is what my job entails, and I'm not doing it. I'm going to do everything else, but I'm not going to do that. And – I I just thought she did the wrong thing. What you do in standing up for your faith is, I love my job. I love what I'm doing, but I cannot in good conscience do that. So I'm going to walk away from the job. That's what someone, in my opinion, that's how you live up to your faith. You don't force other people to believe like you or, or cater to your beliefs. You do your best to live within your belief system with other people. And when they conflict, you walk away. And and whether it's a job, it could be a relationship, it could be a lot of different things. And in this case, I would just say, you know, um, 
working, I, I find a lot of holidays to be sacred. I find, you know, again, the Christmas holiday, the Easter holiday. Um, when you're required to work, when you're required to do something by an employer that doesn't necessarily believe like you do, you're telling them that they have to respect your wishes. And I just don't think that's the way the world works. Um, it would be nice if they did. There's no doubt. It would be nice if they did. But I don't see how you can require a business entity to honor your faith. And that being said, people can't limit you from practicing your faith because the other side is true. Uh, we see all of these dumb court cases where coaches at the end of a sporting event walk to the middle of the field and kneel down with pray and pray, welcoming players from their team and from other teams to join them in prayer, not requiring, leaving it open. And we've seen those coaches lose their jobs and get fired for practicing their faith, which is a clear violation of the First Amendment. If we're going to stand up and say that an employer cannot stop me from expressing my faith by being a coach and praying at the end of a sporting event, a football game or whatever on the middle of the field. And I believe in that 100 percent, not requiring anybody to pray. You are praying. And if they want to join you, they're welcome. You have an absolute right to do that. And your employer cannot stop you, in this case, a school district. Well, then the other side of that is true as well. If there is a rule in place that says you have to work, if you're going to do this job, here are the required days you have to work. If that doesn't fit what your faith mandates, then you have to take the responsibility and say, in honor of my religious beliefs and my faith, I'm going to go work somewhere else. No offense, no hard feelings, but your work hours for me conflict with what I know to be right with my faith. And I just think that's the way the courts are going to rule on this. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to be able to mandate that employers have to fit their requirements for an employee into that employee's faith. On the other hand, I think employers will find out when you make accommodations for people, when you do your best to work with people and they're being genuine in their feelings, you have better employees and a better atmosphere to work in and better attitudes and better performance. But the courts mandating it, it, it seems like even for me, someone that has a pretty deep faith, it seems like a bridge too far. And I'm anxious to see how this, this court case ends up playing out. Just after 10 o'clock, we're going to go back to the economy. When it comes to best economic outlooks for states, Arizona, top three. When it comes to best places to live based on economic indicators, Arizona, again, top three. We're going to talk about what that is and gas prices at a five-month high nationally and still extremely high here in the state of Arizona. What is all of this doing for the outlook of the future? Are we headed towards a recession? Some are saying maybe even worse than a deep recession. We'll talk about it next.